Amen. Good to have a seat, church. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you to New Vintage as well. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 as we continue this series uh, called Secrets of the Kingdom. We're looking at uh, the parables of Jesus today. And um, the guy that came to my mind when I was preparing this particular sermon on this particular parable was a kid named Nick. He and I were both 15 and a half and walked into the J.C. Penney men's department for our first jobs. Uh, minimum wage at the time was $3.75 an hour, uh, which uh, to this day meant that if we worked all day long, uh, we would end up walking out with a whopping, after taxes, maybe 18 bucks. Uh, and I can remember vividly thinking to myself, what are we going to do with all this money? But Nick was a guy I did not know prior to this time, that my job was in the men's department at, at JCPenney. So the task was uh, you work the register, and then when there's nobody at the register, then you're supposed to be going around straightening up, folding clothes, doing things like that, because people will do it. A lot of you do, and I do, and we're in places. We'll say, oh, I wonder if that looks good on me, or whatever. They pick it up. They hold it up to the mirror next to, over their bodies and kind of scan things and go, okay, looks good, and then just throw it back. And so it looks messy over time, over the course of the day. Or the uh, try-on rooms. You'd go in there and pull all, anything that hadn't been shoplifted. You would go back in there, grab those clothes, fold them up, put them back in a nice little tidy thing. Well, after a week or two, uh, Nick kind of takes a different approach to the job. Uh, Nick kind of goes around and he's basically, all he does is sit around, he talks about the girls he's dating, he talks about uh, what he's going to do with the money he's making. I'm, I'm trying to think, of how glorious could it be, really? Um, minimum wage, 18 bucks uh, a long day, that's on a Saturday where you're like working and cranking nonstop. But he would just sit there, he was like a wizard of the water cooler. He would just sit around talking Unless the manager came by. If he did, then he'd get moving. He'd hop too. But the rest of the time, he would kind of sit around while I went around and folded up everything and did everything else. And yet when the paychecks came, they looked identical. And at first, you know, I was kind of taught as a young man to not be envious or jealous and compare yourself to other people, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't bother me at all. But as we went through the Christmas season, and if you've not worked in a department store at Christmas season, um, you don't know suffering, all right? But it, it is absolutely awful. The only thing worse is the week after Christmas when everybody wants to return everything, and you have to tell them, sorry, I can't take it back, okay? And, and then they, they scream in your face, and they throw tantrums, and they do all these things. And so then the more I suffered, and the more he was a lack of help, the more I began to resent him. Or say, why don't you pay this guy half of minimum wage and give me the half that he's not doing of his job? And I started to get more progressively bothered as, as time went on to the point I actually brought it up to the manager. And I said, I think, boss, I deserve a raise. Why? And basically my argument was because he's getting the same amount of money I am and I'm doing a lot more. So if you're going to pay him that, I know you can't pay him less, then you should pay me more. That right there is a beautifully American worldview. If I do more, I should be paid more. If I work longer hours, I should be paid more than the guy who doesn't work longer hours. Meritocracy, something to be quite honest with you, in most aspects of life I believe in very firmly. If I have students in the college classes that I teach, I don't give them all the same grade. Uh, I don't think that just because if this guy doesn't do any work and this guy does a ton that they should make the same. 
So in general, I like it. But when you get to the kingdom of God and the parable we're going to read today, it's a story just like that. It's almost like we're in the men's department at JCPenney. And it's frustrating to even read the parable. In fact, I almost skipped over it. I'm like, you know what? I don't like this one. Let's do something better. <laughs> but in the context, what's happening here is the, the uh, disciples missed the point, just like most of us do, when it comes to the kingdom of God and how God does grace. So just to set it in context, it begins, if we go back to chapter 19, the one right before, uh, there's a story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, hey, uh, I want to uh, live perfectly and I would like to... Uh, what does that take? And he says, well, uh, keep this law, keep this law. I've kept all the laws. Everything's great. And he says, great, then sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And then it says, well, he went away sad. He can't do it. So then after that, he talks to the apostles and says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they go, well, then who can be saved? And he says, well, all things are possible with God. So then the apostles go, well, okay, since we're on the subject, uh, what are we getting out of this deal? Um, I mean, we've been with you since the beginning. So if these uh, slimy rich people get into the kingdom, surely those of us who've forsaken all to follow you, uh, we must be toward the top of the pecking order. We, we must get employee of the month, employee of the lifetime. And Jesus says, well, you know what? You guys are going to be there with me in the kingdom, and you're going to be sitting by my side. But many who are last will be first, and many who are first will be last. So then he tells them a story. Here's the story. Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. I take you to the department store of the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, which by the way is a pretty good wage. That's beyond minimum. That's pretty good wage in that day. He sent them into his vineyard. And going out about a third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go to the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, check this out, because no one has hired us. So as we start, I'm going to pause here for just a second. We'll keep reading. But don't view this as the people who are going to come late are slackers who are trying to game the system. Picture Home Depot on a Saturday morning, day laborers outside waiting for somebody to hire them to work and nobody's hiring them. They want to, they just can't get anybody to hire them, okay? Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came in, each of them received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I uh, I'm doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. 
I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Underline that in your Bible. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. All right, let's figure out who's who. The vineyard owner is God. You see that chapter 20, verse 8, he's called Lord. So we can kind of see where Jesus is going with this whole thing. Now, a couple of little details. Only the first workers in the story get a contract, anything in writing. The rest are simply told that they're going to be paid what is right. Well, who are these latecomers? These people, well, they say that nobody hired us. So this may signify that nobody had considered the tax collectors and the sinners worthy of the king until Jesus calls them to repentance. A lot of people think this is more about, no, they were ready, but nobody wanted to hire them. And so the, the master is the one that comes and says, hey, I want you in the vineyard too, and brings them along. I think that's likely the case. That there are people, not just if you go back to the men's department, there are people that I would have preferred to work with. But we're not, according to this parable, we're not on the hiring committee. We're on the welcome committee. <laughs> we're on the get alongside each other and work together committee. But he owns the vineyard. He hires the workers. He pays the wages. And our job is to serve diligently according to what he asks us to do, which bothers me greatly because I would prefer to hire. I would prefer that it would be my vineyard, and I want to determine what everybody should get and what everybody is worth. Now, when I do that, oddly enough, I tend to exaggerate my own value. I'm priceless. Man, is he lucky to have me. And when it comes down to this other person, well, they don't do very much. They don't do anything close to what I do, so I should probably get 10, 20, 30, 40 times what they get. After all, they just got here. This is their first Sunday at NBC. Can you believe it? And God says, you know what? In the kingdom of God, you all get the same. Many who are last will be first. Many who are first will be last. Well, you mean to tell me that if I got here early in the day and I sniveled and griped and worked and everything all day long that I should get the same pay as them? And God's comment back is, well, whose vineyard is it? And whose worker? And whose wages? Now, I want to talk today a little bit about what it's like to work in the vineyard and why the attitude with which you work, the comparisons that we make. The comparisons, as we'll talk about later, do tend to lie to us. God continues to hire these workers, some at six, some at nine, some at 12, some at three, some at five. Why the hurry? Why does he seem so urgent to get everybody into the vineyard and working and cranking on stuff? It's because he seems eager to complete the harvest. Like if you had a task you felt really urgently about, okay, it's got to be done today or the grapes are going to go bad, then you go out and you find every living person you can to get into the vineyard and start harvesting. Now that theme of there not being enough workers is very, very common in the Bible. The problem is never that there's not enough grapes out there or anything like that. You don't have enough workers. Okay, it's still that way in the kingdom of God. Not enough workers. It's not that the gospel runs out. Uh, it's not that God can't provide. It's not that any of that. It's, it's the lack of workers. And so you see the heart of God on full display here. This urgency to see the harvest done and, 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 uh, and executed 
and finished. It reminds me a little bit of the parable of the great banquet. If you go back a few weeks in our series, the parable of the great banquet where the host is throwing the banquet, God's the guy that's throwing the party nobody wants to show up for. And, he asks, and so he keeps telling his servants, look, go out and find people to show up. And they go, well, we've, we've done that. And we still can't get anybody to show up. And he says, well, go back out again and get some other people to show up. So they go, okay, we've done that. And th- this is all we got. And he goes, fine, and go out, into the, go into the bushes. He says, literally, go into the shrubs, drag out whoever you can and put them here. Bring them to the table because I want my table full. There are echoes of that in here, the urgency. And the fact that the earliest workers sometimes are not the most grateful workers. And they don't seem to understand that in the kingdom of God, part of your reward is that you get to serve the king for longer. The idea that service to God is a a bad job, it's like uh, cleaning the toilets in the men's department at JCPenney. You got to do that too. Not my favorite part. I remember doing that at our old Juniper property up the way. Your little church, you got no help. Nothing like preaching a sermon after going elbow deep into the toilet to fix it. You know, and then here comes somebody that you haven't seen in six months, show up to the church and start telling you the music's too loud. And you just want to go, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Unless you get in and you do the grind like I do. See? See how it works? And comparisons lie. Now, all of a sudden, I am a saint. Saint Tim. Halo over his head. Oh, what a wonderful saint Tim is serving the Lord so graciously. And then here's El Flaco walking in after six months, you know, telling me the music's too loud. You know what? I'll, you know what? I'll show you too loud, pal. You know, is what you're thinking in your head. But that's how it works in the kingdom of God. If your attitude isn't right, they don't understand. You shouldn't be in the vineyard at all. That's the punchline. It's not your vineyard. You don't belong there at any wage. I mean, look, imagine yourself. You show up bright and early, dressed for work, lunch pail in hand. You're thrilled when the owner comes by and his flatbed truck hires you with, without an interview, no resume, no list of references. He just says, hey, I will give you a fair and generous wage, a whole denarius. It's about three days worth of a wage. Hey, all right. I'm in. You jump in the back of the truck, off you go. You start thinking about the bills you're going to pay. You know, if I keep this up long enough, well, me and the wife could take off and go to Palm Springs here in a month or two. You needed this job. So you go to work with a bounce in your step. At 6 a.m., you're ready to go. And then you see other people roll in at 9, other people at 12, then 3, then 5. And at the end of the day, you pays those guys first. I got to wait in line to get my wages. And they get the same thing I do. Hmm. Well, all right. Perhaps how we hear this story, if we use the language Jesus uses right before this, depends on whether we're used to being first or not. I mean, it depends on how much we think we're owed by God, right? And in reality, let's ask this question. 
what does God owe us? What does he owe us? It's your breath in our lungs, we just sang. Yeah, it is, isn't it? What do we owe, or what does God owe us? I mean, he put the breath in our lungs, the brains in our head, the heart, boom, boom, boom. Yep, he's doing that too. The skeleton that holds you together, the life you have, every blessing you've got in this world. And if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you're headed to heaven eternally, and you're, you're living life abundantly here in the here and now. And you've contributed what? Not nothing, right? But, but, but if you take them and you put them on a scale, this is the parable of the unmerciful servant, which we also talked about not that long ago. It's, it's the idea that somehow, okay, I was forgiven this monstrous debt, but then somebody owes me a little something, and all of a sudden I make a big deal out of it. And I totally forget what I was forgiven by God. Let me give you a few takeaways from this parable. And then the sermon is yours. First, he pays what is right. If you go back and read verse 15 again, in the ESV they translate it, do you begrudge my generosity? The, the master asks. In Greek, it's literally, is your eye evil because I am good? Okay, these guys are throwing him the evil eye. Now, the expression evil eye is interesting, okay? It, it reflects how deep the envy is and their sense of injustice and perhaps even their intent to do harm to the owner of the vineyard. There are some other places in the Bible where this happens. You get a disgruntled workers union that gets physical. So he may be saying to them, what, you're gonna, are you going to attack me or something because I was generous to these guys? The landowner has been fair to those who worked all day and generous to those who worked only a short time since he wanted to treat all his workers equally. Here's what they're feeling. My value is greater because I've been here longer. If you pay that man a denarius, you owe me 12 because he worked an hour and I worked 12. I earned it. Now I can, let's, let's be honest, we can understand this perspective. You ever go into line at Target and it's a long line. Let's say it's back to school time. You got your school supplies. You get your pencils and your backpacks and your notepad paper things and paper clips and, and all the other crud that your kids had to have or whatever to get going. You throw it in the shopping cart and there you are, big old long line. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there going, why do they have one cashier open today? One. They couldn't see this train coming like it has for the last, every year for the last 25, 30 years. You get in line, there you go, and somewhere then somebody opens up a new checkout line. You're in the middle. And the guy at the end bolts and gets in the front of that line. Dude. Dude. I've done that before. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what you can put in the word dude? If you just say it in a certain way, they totally get it. It's, it's sentences and volumes in just one word. It's like, dude, you know, oh, I'm sorry, were you there? No, I appeared out of thin air, you know, is what I'm thinking in my head. So then, okay, well, here they go. So the back half of the line goes and they take their shot first. No, that's wrong. That's not right. That's unjust. And then I started thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm taking my business elsewhere. Well, whatever, dude, you know, like... Like, you just feel this sense of outrage. My personal favorite is when you go and you've waited in line to get to the front 
And right as you get to the line, the phone rings, and they pick up the phone, and they check out on you, and they tell you to hold so they could talk to the person on the phone. And you're like, dude, dude, you know, you're just like, why am I here? In and out workers on a busy day, you go inside because you can see the drive through line is a mile long. So you take the time, park your car, get out of your car, go up, order the number two. You get up there, hey, fries, animal style, no spread. That's the recipe, by the way, y'all. Thank you. You, you guys are going to thank me for that later. Go get the onions and the cheese, bail the spread. Um, but you get to the front, and then they leave you to go fill drive through orders. And you're standing there going... I could have done this in my car. Is it unreasonable to feel that way? It's reasonable, isn't it? Shouldn't, shouldn't our calls be answered in the order they were received? <laughs> oh, man, our society. This parable says that God fulfills his promises and pays what is right in his eyes. And whatever it is, is right. And we can trust him. So whatever he pays is right in his eyes. And for a Christian, that should be enough. Secondly, grace is his. By far, the primary lesson Jesus is sharing in this one is that the owner of the vineyard in which we all serve is good. He's also just, but the vineyard is his. The wages are his as well. We shouldn't presume to tell him how to pay his workers. He's not just, you know, he didn't just pay the workers and he owns the field. He does the hiring too. It's all his. Field, wages, workers. Okay, that's core Christian doctrine. It's all his. It's all his. The gospel boils down to it's all his and he gave it all to us in Christ out of his mercy. Not because we earned it, right? Not because I worked hard enough plowing the field of God in advance that I finally got my merit badge of salvation that I can wear now, and until you have one, you know what, the wages are higher here, get in the back of the line. It's not how it works. Not in the kingdom of God. Now again, the workers here, they're hired last, not because they are trying to game the system. They are hired last because nobody will hire them. And that's one of the reasons why I think we get ourselves in trouble and why the gospel has always rung easier and truer with people who are maybe a little bit on the margins. We're so perfect and preoccupied that they respond to it because they've been sitting in front of Home Depot all day long. And so for somebody to show up and say, hey, would you like to work? Yes. About stinking time. Meanwhile, the people who got hired at six, for whatever reason, have grumbled their way through the day. In our parable, the landowner says he will pay the later shift workers what is right. And he does it because what is right to him is the generosity shown by the master with his money for work done in his field. Now, that is not what the world is like. Let's agree on that. But Jesus isn't trying to teach us what the world is like. He's trying to show us what the kingdom of heaven is like. In the kingdom, human standards of merit are replaced by divine generosity. And it's not unfair. It's a reflection of our envy in our oft-skewed sense of what is fair. 
As in the case of the parable of the unforgiving servant, again, people remain outraged or whatever that the, at the one who owed them the small debt, whereas they've been forgiven this huge debt, and they often mistake then this divine generosity for not being fair. Well, then, why don't I just show up at five and leave out the rest? Do what they do. But I know the insider scoop, which is I can show up any time and get paid the same. Why would I show up at six when I can just show up at five? Well, two things. One is, again, remember, they weren't there because they were trying to game the system. They were there because nobody would hire them. They hadn't been hired. Perhaps the equivalent of nobody had taught us about Jesus. And like the disgruntled first workers, we often have no problem with God showing grace to somebody who comes to Christ later in life. That's a beautiful thing. First time I baptized, I had a 13-year-old boy and a 92-year-old woman. I baptized them both on the same Sunday. That was the first Sunday I ever baptized anybody. 92. So, I guess I could have said, you know what, ma'am? I am excited that you are here. The angels in heaven rejoice, but they do it quieter than they do when the 13-year-old is here because he's going to be in the vineyard longer than you. So you showed up at the end. God bless you. Here's your denarius. And then go to the 13-year-old and say, oh, man, you got your whole life in front of you. You're going to be such a great servant of the Lord. When you get to the end, you're going to be, have so many more jewels in your crown than her. You know what the 92-year-old thought? You know what she said? She felt like she had wasted her entire life. Because she finally understood what life was about, and she felt like it was too late. She got it, right? You're right. I mean, is there anything worse than feeling like you've been living your whole life on one path and then getting to the end and realizing, I missed it, and my life's almost over. I don't know what, (laughs) I could have been serving the Lord all the way through. I could have been living under grace instead of guilt my whole life, and I missed it. She doesn't go, oh, hey, almost, I'm, you know, one, one foot on the banana peel, the other in heaven. Yay me. I got you. The rest of you fools had to serve and grind away your whole life in, the, in, the, in, uh, you know, in God's kind of cosmic plantation. That is no way to see the kingdom of God, sisters and brothers. I think it says a lot about our attitudes and, and how we see it. And I'm thankful that people that, you know, my experience here at NBC is that that's not how people are at all. But boy, I've seen it over the years. I sure have. I mean, I think like kids view Santa Claus. We have this sense that because God is gracious, everybody should get something for Christmas. Of course they should. Nobody wants to have a kid with no toys on Christmas. But if Santa is really just, he will check the list twice and make sure the shiniest toys go to the kids who have been good all year, not just those who tried to impress Santa during December. Does that sound familiar? Dude, I could give us example after example after example of how this works its way in, and then we bring it into the kingdom of God. We don't begrudge grace to people. We wouldn't do that. We're Christians. We don't begrudge grace even undeserved. Where we begrudge grace is when it's given evenly. That bothers us. Sometimes the only tastes more bitter than grace withheld is grace given freely to another. We do live in the most merit-based society in the history of civilization, and it's brought with it a lot of success in a lot of different ways. 
But we need to remember the climax of this parable in verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The vineyard owner claims the right to pay his workers not on the basis of their merits, but on the basis of his compassion. It's his vineyard and his money, his workers. He pays everybody what they're promised and what is right. Third, God's favor is given, it is not taken. The idea of divine backscratching is very old. The ancient Romans on their shrines would put do ut des. I give in order that you may give. That was their approach to God's. And with that statement, the donor made clear that his or her generosity was intended to inspire a similar generosity from the deity. I am scratching your back. Thou shalt scratch mine. And that's how we saw it. That's how the Romans saw it. And if we laugh at the Romans, you can go back to Genesis. You can see it in Genesis 28, 18 to 22. Jacob, as a precursor to the tithe that God asked people to do, Jacob attempts to bargain with God for protection and sustenance. God, look, if you'll bail me out now, I'll give you 10% of my income. Bribery. The book of Job the question of Job is not, why is there suffering in the world? The question of Job is, what Satan asks, God, does Job serve God for nothing? Or does Job serve you because you give him the picture-perfect life? Health, wealth, family, the trifecta. You've given it to Job. You take that away and watch him curse you. So then it comes back to us. How about our wages? Why do we serve the master? What's our view of service to the master? Well, that's often shaped by comparisons. That's number four. Comparisons lie to us. Comparison to others, especially in the spiritual realm, will rot you away from the inside. Compare your church to somebody else's church. Compare your husband to somebody else's husband. Compare your kids to other people's kids. Compare your body to other people's bodies. Compare, 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 compare. You're totally happy with yourself until you went out and you saw them. You go to the beach, been working on your body all summer long for beach weather. You go outside and you see that dude or dudette and they're just shredded and ripped and they look better than you do. And it's like, dude, I've been working on this for like months. You probably should roll out of bed like that. Healthy gene pool, you know, whatever. I mean, you can do it with that. You can do it with, well, the only reason they're like that is because they had X and Y and Z fall into place for them. I don't understand why my husband's such a deadbeat. Her husband seems so helpful all the time. Now, here's where this gets weird, right? Let's take the husband thing. A lot of times when wives are comparing their husbands to other people's husbands, it's in the context of saying, I wish he would aspire to be like the other person. When men compare themselves to other husbands, they inflate their sense of how good they are and think that, boy, you know, you know what? Well, her husband does this. Now, do you see the conflict? You're both comparing this person, which you shouldn't be doing in the first place, to something that's inaccurate and probably an ideal that exists out there that doesn't really exist. So the point of reference is wrong, and then the ideal you're comparing to is wrong. See, he's the perfect husband in his own eyes, and her husband's terrible, 
in her eyes sometimes, he's awful. And the reality is he's probably not that awful, nor is he that perfect. But the Bible universally says comparisons are bad. One example would be 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, which says this, when, the, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now look, by any measure, I would be considered a first shift vineyard worker in the kingdom. Born on Tuesday in church Sunday. Baptized at 12, involved full-time ministry most of my life. I would never begrudge God's grace to another. However, I could on my lesser days look even more forward to what must certainly be my more substantial reward. Huh. Then I would have missed it. That I should have been considering myself fortunate to be in God's vineyard at all from day one. And that I am the richest man in the world if I start working earlier, not later. Because I'm not doing it for the wages. I'm doing it for the master. You see the difference in the way that you see things? It's like John the Baptist said of Jesus. I am unworthy to untie his sandals. That's how he saw Jesus. It's an honor to be in his vineyard at all. My wife will testify to this. I have bad attitudes sometimes. Thursday night was one of those times. This last Thursday night. Thursday is my Friday. So it was Thursday evening, and there was going to be a big event here in the Ritz, and I decided uh, that I was going to go. But I thought the assignment was to kind of glad hand, just show up in the lobby. Hey, good buddy, glad you're here. Take off out the back door. Off you go. I was tired. I still had jet lag from a trip we'd just gotten back from. I wanted to be in my sweatpants. I had big plans for that night in my mind, okay? And to come here and do that, it was a kind of a fancy thing. So it's like, I got to get dressed up. Like, all my stuff's at the dry cleaner right now. I don't have a jacket. And it's like having a piecemeal and outfit together. And I was like, Bleh. And then in the back of my mind, I start thinking to myself, ah, these are the kinds of things that make ministry and where we're at so complicated. Boy, I remember when ministry was more simple. You just show up, preach sermons, love people, do, do go to groups, and go home. It's like the, like the uh, Israelites uh, grumbling in Egypt. Oh, you remember the food back when we were slaves in Egypt, how good the food was? <laughs> so I show up, forced smile on my face, all sweaty, it was hot in the lobby all of a sudden for some reason. And I didn't really want to even engage, so I was doing my best though forced extroversion and I go up and I meet the guy that's running the event and we hit it off. Next thing you know, he says, hey, would you get up on stage during this event and just tell everybody the story of this place? I thought I was just going to glad hand and walk out, right? And I was like, uh, sure. Uh, how long you want? He goes, take as long as you want. Now, you know the, the I mean, you see what I'm doing with it right now, right? Now, I'll take as long. <laughs> so you're like, hey, I, you know, uh, okay, I'll get up. So I got up, stood right over there, and I told him the story of this place. Told him the story of our church. Told him the story of everything, right? And then we go from there, and I go up to the roof uh, for their reception afterwards. And person after person after person, this was the main question. Why did you guys do this? 
it was almost like, because earlier in the night, I'm asking, why did we do this? <laughs> right? It's almost like God is like, think it through, boy. Okay? And so I get up there, and I bet a dozen times over the course of the night, I got to, in some 60-second or less kind of format, tell them, well, God, we, our church feels like God loves people. We view this as a great way to love people. So our house is your house, and, uh, you know, welcome and everything. So we're, we go through, I mean, all night long. I stayed up there for four hours doing nothing but hanging out with people until the thing was, I shut the thing down, had an absolute blast, loved every second of it, got home on cloud nine. My wife will tell you, and my attitude had been fixed. Not by wages, by service. It's one of those paradoxes of the kingdom, right? That we think that, like, people will think, that people who don't come to church and they don't really dive in all the way, yeah, you know, I went to church and it really didn't, you know, so I don't go. And it's like, no, because you don't go, you don't get anything out of it. Right? When you don't even know where the shovel is, or the pick, or the rake, then you're not a very good vineyard worker, and you don't really know how, to, how it's done. But for me to think that, boy, in some way, shape, or form, if somebody said, boy, Tim, are you, are you sorry that, that you gave your life to ministry, or you did these other things? No, are you kidding me? I would laugh that out of the ballpark. But that's why, because I'm sitting there, and I'm going to myself, would I... Would I trade any of the stuff that, I've, that I've, I've watched, the transcendent moments where I watch God change a person's life up close, where I've, I've baptized them into Christ in the Pacific Ocean, or, or watched the breakthrough happen with some troubled teenager, or watched a marriage be restored that was absolutely, I mean, on, on, I mean it, they were flatlining. That thing was over. And watch God put the thing back together and get it to where it thrived again. All that stuff. Those are the things that you get in the vineyard of the Lord that you don't get at the workers' union meeting. Do you understand what I'm saying? What God is offering you, as he pulls up in his truck this morning, says, you want to work? He's offering you the adventure of a lifetime. For whatever reason, he's brought you here to this church. And if you don't believe that God's got something big in store for this church, take a walk outside this morning. How did we get here? <laughs> God put us here for a reason, for a purpose. And so it's time for us to get about his business. One of the best things about being a little bit newer of a church is that we don't have a lot of uh, people that have come in at all these different lengths of time. Nobody's been here all that long. 11 years, the max. We are all, in a sense, first shift workers, so it's a little easier to pull together, but there's going to be a time where the people that are the OGs and we're here from day one versus the people who were here kind of early juniper and all these different little dispensations of our church's history are going to start doing that. Man, I hope, I hope, I hope that the five o'clocker, and if that's you, if you're here and you are not a part of this church or whatever, you would be a five o'clocker. I want you to hear this, okay? You are welcome here. Okay, the king wants you in his vineyard. And you will be given the opportunity to work 
for the same wages the rest of us are. And it's this, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the wage. Not the denarii. The, the, well, the well done of God, that's the wage. That's the payoff. It's not too late for you, or it's not too late for an attitude adjustment. It happens to me almost every day, thank God. <laughs> In his mercy, he'll give me a tune-up here and there. So don't wait another minute. It's better to arrive late than not at all. An adventure of a lifetime awaits you. And so now uh, we remember Jesus, the one who gave us this story as we gather around the Lord's table. We're taking communion at this time. If you're new, this is a time we do it every week here at New Venice Church. Uh, we take the bread and the cup, the little uh, wafer and the juice to, uh, and if you didn't, by the way, if you didn't get any on the way in and you'd like some, just put your hand in the air like this and we have ushers, I'll bring you one. Um, but as we do, I would like to offer you the opportunity to reflect on what he has said here. Now, if you're a first shift worker, 6 a.m., maybe your attitude's gotten a little, maybe you were here at 6 o'clock setting up. Maybe you were here, you know, doing whatever, or you've been asked to do these different things. Uh, you know, let's do some of this this morning. It might be that you want to pray for somebody, like over next door in Munchkin Land over there, where the kids and the, and the child, children's ministry workers are. Pray for them, that God will continue to pour into them the vision for what they're doing. They're raising future disciples of Jesus over there. They're not doing child care. I guess they care for children, but beyond that, it's about discipleship. The band, okay? They're helping lead God's people in praise. Giving them the chance to say with music what they believe to be true about God. That's awesome. You know, every worker that's in God's vineyard, he loves and cherishes and appreciates. If you're also on the margins and you're over there, it's like I've been sitting out in front of Home Depot all day long. Nobody's invited me to come play ball. This is your day. This is your day. And when we sit together and remember the Lord with bread and cup, which represents his body and blood, my prayer is that you will say yes to God. Come talk to one of us as soon as the service is over. We'd love to talk to you about how to become a Christian and how to begin that great adventure of a lifetime. Let's pray. Lord, with bread and cup now, we say thank you to Jesus for all he has done. Father, we don't deserve to be in your vineyard whatsoever. But you have welcomed us. We can be petty. We can be lazy. Uh, we can be irresponsible. We can be envious. And yet you keep us anyway, Father. And for your great mercy and not throwing us out on our ear every time we, we mess up or we but continuing to welcome us back into your vineyard, Father. Uh, we say thank you for your grace. Father, give us hearts that welcome the five o'clocker. And help us, Father, those of us who are six o'clockers or nine o'clockers or 12 o'clockers, Father, in the kingdom of God, to know what a beautiful privilege it is to get started early at experiencing the joy and the abundance of serving you. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.